If you'd open your Bible to uh, the book of Acts, I'm going to be reading in two places. First, Acts chapter 1, and then in the tail end of Acts chapter 4, we'll pick up at verse 32, and then we'll pray and dig into God's word. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, we pick up in the conversation as the, the disciples believe that it is time that Jesus is going to establish the kingdom of God. He has come as Messiah, and they are expecting God's kingdom on earth. They get a surprising answer from Jesus. This is what the scriptures say in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then we see the fruit of the the birth of the church. We see the the product, the The kingdom made manifest in the life of the church in the book of Acts, chapter 4, starting in verse 32, where it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Father, as we continue in the midst of this focus on community in our church as we continue to explore the idea of being in groups and being in fellowship and in community. We pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. We have spent time in weeks past on intellectual arguments and we have looked at commands and We have examined different reasons and rationale for being in community. But as we sum things up today, as we we draw this idea, this focus to a close, I pray that we would be moved and affected by the story of one of our brothers, by the story of a man whose faithfulness to community whose faithfulness to love transformed the life of the early church, the history of the Christian mission, and I would argue the history of the world. 
And yet, because of the simplicity of who he was and what he did, I believe he sits in the background of the New Testament largely unnoticed. And so, Father, as we continue, as the sermons end, the work goes on. May we find a hero in this man, Barnabas, and may we imitate him. By your grace, we pray, and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been uh, guided by a, a simple proverb as we've been considering what it means to live in biblical community. We have a mission given to us by Jesus to be his witnesses. Here in Acts 1.8, it says that we would receive power to be witnesses, and that would take place in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The gospel, the good news that, that Jesus Christ is life to those who expect or should expect only punishment and alienation from God. The good news is that the righteousness of Jesus, the forgiveness of God, flows to anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus, the Son of God, and his death on the cross, and his resurrection for our justification. That is good news. The, the mission of the church extends beyond our ability to finish it as individuals, and beyond our ability to finish it as a church. And so this simple idea, this proverb that we've repeated, I think is poignant when it comes to community. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If you want to go quickly, go alone. If this is all about individuality or self-actualization or all about me, then I better do it alone because I want to get there as fast as I can. But the rest of the proverb reads this way, if you want to go far, go together. If you want to go far, go together. We have been given a great mission by our Savior. He has great plans, and he has called us to himself to attempt great things with great humility. Uh, if you've ever had to do something difficult, if you've ever uh, run a race, uh, I will confess that I have never actually complete, competed in anything um, like a 5K, but I did do Couch to 5K in the privacy of my own life. I posted uh, many um, cynical posts on Facebook about how difficult running was for me. Um, and then one morning I woke up and I ran the 5K, you know, in the dark with nobody watching me, and I was done, and then I was done. I walked away from running, and I don't think I've really done it ever since. <laughs> so, so saying that, uh, know that I am peering in as one whose expertise in, in matters of exercise come from documentaries, okay? Um, what keeps us going in the midst of, of a difficult task? What, what keeps us moving in a race? What keeps us sticking at a difficult project or pressing toward a goal. Uh, yes, we need, we need fuel in order to, to, to go the distance, right? If you're running, you need water and you need some, some, some quick type snacks to, to keep your energy up. Uh, but many people have confessed that it's, it's not so simple. What keeps them going over the long haul is the encouragement, the applause, the idea that they are not 
alone, the idea that they are part of a team, the idea that they are in it together. It's community, and it's, it's the potential that's drawn out by those encouraging that helps somebody go the distance. I think this is true if you take a look at the book of Acts and you say, where do we see community and encouragement in this book? I would say this. I believe it is a driving factor in the book of Acts and something that Luke is the writer of Acts is pointing at and showing to the church and saying pay attention to this and yet many times we just focus on the data of what's going on in the events and we're not we're not seeing the big story behind it so I want to look at the book of Acts if you flip to Acts 1 and you follow along we're gonna we're gonna start in Acts 1 and we're gonna move through the book and we're just gonna take a, a look at the life of a man who was a true believer in the mission of the church, in the gospel, and in encouragement, and see how it affected the early church. The mission is clearly laid out in Acts 1.8. The, the disciples, though they had heard Jesus teach over and over, they were locked onto this idea that, that Messiah would come and would kick out the Romans and that the kingdom of God would be set up and they would have another kingdom, another king like David's kingdom, and that no one was going to push them around anymore. And so they asked, is it now? They're all sitting around, right? listening to Jesus teach them for for 40 days he's telling them all kinds of amazing stuff and they're like do we get our thrones and power now right and he says to them that's for the father to know when the kingdom is coming but you're going to receive power the holy spirit is going to come upon you right they are they are have put their faith and trust in Jesus they they understand that he is back from the dead and so they're getting this concept of of that they that they are sinners and that they need to repent they're understanding it but the power has not yet come the spirit has not yet descended on them but he's coming and when he comes Jesus tells them you're going to be my witnesses you're going to testify to the gospel message for me And you're going to do that starting in Jerusalem, and then you're going to spread out to Judea, and then you're going to go to Samaria, and this message is going to go to the ends of the earth. And that's the outline of the book of Acts, right? We start in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, Peter preaches, people are are convicted, they, they hear the message that they are sinners, and they say, what must we do to be saved? And, and Peter says, repent and be baptized. Put your faith and trust in Christ and come to him. 3,000 souls join the church that day. And then the church spreads out of Jerusalem into the surrounding area of Jerusalem. And then it goes where the, the early church doesn't think it's supposed to go. It goes to Samaria, to, to people who are not Jews. And they're asking the question, can non-Jews become Christians? And then Somebody starts sharing with the Gentiles, and then the Gentiles start sharing with the Gentiles. And it spreads to the uttermost ends of the earth. That's the outline of the book of Acts. That's how the, how the book unpacks itself. As the church begins to grow, we meet a man named Joseph. This is a man who is probably in the city of Jerusalem for the, the Passover celebration, right? Something happened during that Passover celebration. The, the, the one named Jesus of Nazareth who was preaching and teaching was, was taken. He was killed and then he was raised from the dead and his apostles were teaching amazing things. I think Barnabas got either caught up in this. He, 
he, he became part of that early community of disciples or on the day of Pentecost when, when this amazing thing happened and the church was born, he was there and he said, this is what I want to be part of. This is amazing. I want to be part of this new community of people who follow Jesus. And so he was from the island of Cyprus, but now he was living in Jerusalem. And as the church begins to, to give and to grow, and they're doing all these, uh, these, these things that they've been commanded to by Jesus, he sells a field. He gives the money to the apostles, right? And, and he had attained a reputation at this point of being somebody who, who lived what he believed, right? He's a, he's, he embodies community. They already call him at this point Barnabas. His name is Joseph, right? Easy to confuse him maybe in biblical history, right, with, with the guy who uh, was in Egypt, right, or with Jesus' dad, right, you know? Joseph. So, so they give him another name, and that's the name that we know him by, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. This means that he embodies encouraging. He oozes it. It's always, this is the way that he is. Do you remember uh, John and Andrew, the brothers who are the disciples? You remember how when there was a, a village and Jesus was going through it, and they were angry at him because he wouldn't stay. And, and so they began to curse at Jesus and his disciples. And John and Andrew pull aside, and they say, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn up this village? You know what they called them? They called them sons of thunder. Loud, brash, difficult, right? Because that's what they exuded. Barnabas always focused on good things, always focused on, on living it, on, on living it out and on helping others. He embodied what the early church was about. When the church is scattered because of the persecution that arises because of, of the, the rage of a man named Saul, the church is, is scattered. We're not exactly sure what happens to Barnabas, where he is, when this is happening. But Bar uh, Paul has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. This man, Saul, meets Jesus on the road, and Jesus confronts him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I don't know, I don't know what this is about. And, and, and uh, Jesus says, I'm Jesus, who are you persecuting? Saul is blinded. He needs to be led into the city. And, and he, he prays there and he repents. And a man named Ananias comes to him, but only after much urging, because this guy is dangerous. He hurts people. He imprisons people. And Saul becomes a believer in Jesus and takes the name of Paul. But here's the thing. When you're nasty and mean to people and you hate people a lot and you ruin their lives and you are committed to destruction, when you become a Christian, people are naturally skeptical of it, right? They're like, maybe this is some sneaky tactic to get into our lives and find out our names and then he's going to, to go back to his old way, right? No, or they're just like regular old human beings and you're like, you hurt us. And we don't want to have anything to do with you. Maybe they, maybe they were saying the things to Paul, like, you know, 
we love you, but we just don't like you, right? Christians like to say stuff like that, don't we? So he goes to Jerusalem, this Paul. And it says in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, when he'd come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. I'm one of you now. I, I want to be part of your community. Imagine what it must have been like to be the chief persecutor of the church. And then to leave that job, right? You're not an average citizen anymore. You have left the ranks of the Kool-Aid drinking true believers, right? Now, we don't just dislike you. You're not just neutral to our movement. We hate you. So, so in, in becoming a disciple of Jesus, Paul had probably lost all of his community and his friends, and now he's looking for people around him. He attempts to join the disciples. It says all were afraid of him. They did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas, but Barnabas took him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he'd seen the Lord. This is, imagine, Barnabas must have sat with him and listened to him and prayed with him and heard his story. He, he takes him to the disciples. He says that Jesus spoke to him and he preached in the name of Jesus. Barnabas sees people on the outside and he brings them to the inside. He's a, he's a connector. He's an includer of the other. The Bible is full of this message, folks, that we should love and care for the poor that we should be concerned about the displaced, that we should love those who are hurt, that those who are educated or who have opportunity or who are rich ought not to hoard those things and take comfort and shelter in them, but instead ought to share them with those who are in need. That those who were formerly hostile who have repented of their ways, ought to be made part of the community. Barnabas is not just one who lives in community. He's not just a giver, but he's also a connector. Right? Isn't that amazing? Think about that. Paul would have been out on his own. And so Paul, the effect of what Paul has done does not pass. Look at... Um, Verse, uh, I think this is Acts chapter 10. My scripture reference is definitely wrong here. There's an explanation for why, but it would take too long to explain it, so not the point. It's a verse 19 in a chapter after, uh, after 9. Uh, hopefully you'll find it as I read. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, right? So, so what's happened is Paul, uh, in the under the name Saul, has persecuted the church. The church is scattered and spread, and now he has repented, but the effects of what he did is, are still rippling. There were some of them, it says in verse 20 of that chapter. 11, thank you, John. I knew, I knew it. I knew someone was going to. Thank you, Barnabas. You encourage me. Um, verse, verse 20, but there were some of the men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus. So what's happening now is it's not just Jews sharing with Jews. Now Greeks are starting to hear. Now people who aren't native-born Jews are hearing the gospel. And the hand of the Lord was with them. A great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. We got to get a star player in this city because great stuff is happening and they need help. 
They need encouragement. They need to know what it is that we do. Let's send our guy. So off goes Barnabas, the son of encouragement. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. But here's what happens now. The work becomes too great. They needed to send Barnabas, and Barnabas is looking at the work, and he says, I'm not enough for this. And so what does he do? It says that he went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul had become a, a member of the Christian community. He had been accepted. He had been incorporated in, and he'd been discipled. But he went back to his hometown, his home place, and he put himself on the bench. But Barnabas looks around and he says, this is an opportunity for the rabbi, for educated, intelligent, articulate, clear, driven, intense Paul to get into the game, to get him off the bench and get him onto the field because only players who are active score points, right? doesn't matter who's on your bench if you don't do the thing if you're doing the fantasy football thing and you're like I did good I got a good team in the draft no this is not enough I didn't know this I lost last year and I lost horribly because you got to like look at your you got to look at your lineup and you got to see who's not playing you got to swap people out you got to swap people in because only people on the field score you points yeah I'm learning I'm trying there's no football today, I know, you know, and so I got I to gotta remember this next week when, when, it, when it all kicks off. So he goes to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Come on, this is going to be great. You can do this. You have need. You, you've got gifts, and we have a need, and, and God wants you to meet that need, and let's go. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And look at this. In Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. It's not, it's not the way anymore. It's not this sub-movement within Judaism. Now it becomes it, its own thing. Christian means little Christ. The community was taking on the marks of the Messiah and it was leaving Jerusalem behind and becoming its, its own entity. Leaving the the safety of the temple, leaving the cultural bounds of Jerusalem. It was launching out in the world and becoming its, its own. Barnabas was a multiplier of disciples. He wasn't just into community. He wasn't just a, a faithful giver. He was a connector. He brought Paul on the inside, but then once he brought Paul onto the in, into the inside of the church, he found his gifts and he deployed him in the church. Look at what it says in Acts 13.1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a longtime friend of the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. After fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Notice Barnabas' name shows up first here. Barnabas, Saul. That's going to change later. You're going to see Saul comes first, or Paul comes first, and Barnabas. Barnabas was the one that they sent. 
along with the teacher, Saul, to be a multiplier of the mission, a multiplier of the church. The mission is to know Jesus, right, and to know him in the power of his resurrection and to conform our lives to his way and to his will. But the mission is not just to know and to absorb. It's to know Jesus and to make him known. And so the idea is we need to start more. We need to send out. We need to build the church in the strength and power of God. But the church needs to grow and grow and grow. Barnabas understood that you have to turn in and look at the church. You have to, you have to draw people in. You have to turn in so that you can turn out. Right? Turn in so you can turn out. And then you need to turn up turning out. And don't turn it down, right? And that's what they're doing here in Acts chapter 13. Think about it. Paul was, was brought in, and then he was shown his gifts, and now he is, he is being sent out to go and do the work. Acts 15, 36, there is a great controversy over who can become a Christian, and Paul and Barnabas are in the midst of it, and they're saying everywhere we go, people become Christians. And they are putting their faith and trust in Jesus and we're forming churches. And now there are churches spreading and growing everywhere. Gentiles are turning to Jesus. And so they settle this, this controversy that, yes, anyone who puts their faith and trust in Jesus can become a Christian no matter how far they were from God, no matter what religion they were, no matter what gender they are, no matter where they have been or what they have done, they just need to put their faith and trust in Christ, repent and follow him. When the controversy is over, Barnabas's reaction to Paul's words is clear. Acts 15, 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and let's see how they are. And they went back and they encouraged them and helped them and built them up. This is Barnabas' ministry in the book of Acts. Think about it. He was an encourager of the church because he said, let's follow through on this thing that we're doing, giving and sharing and loving and meeting each other's needs. He was an encourager of the outsider. You might be on the outside, but you need to be on the inside. Come in, be one of us, be part of us. He was also an encourager to greater things. He knew that Paul needed to be Antioch and not sitting in a room somewhere reading books in Antioch, right? All that book learning was good because now he would need to apply it in real life. He had, he had honed these skills and now Barnabas saw an opportunity for Paul to minister and he deployed him. And then he was an encourager to wider ministry. They went out among the Gentiles. So let's bring it home and consider, are you an encourager? And do you see the role of encouragement in your life, in your family, in your place of occupation at work, in your ministry in the church? Do you see the role of encouragement, I would say this, 
that Paul is careful, sorry, Luke is careful to point out to us the fact that God was at work in the church. Yes, this is affirmed over and over and over again that the Lord blessed them and the number of disciples increased. But as God works, he works through his people. And that the church was built through the encouragement of Barnabas and still needs that encouragement today. The book of Proverbs says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. If we are made righteous by faith, and if me being a saint means that we are righteous, and we are called saints, we are called God's chosen ones, if we are his righteous ones, then our mouths, the words that we speak, this is not talking about the quality of breath, you know, or the dental work that, that we've obtained as believers. No, it's speaking about the words that we say, They are a fountain of life. And so we ought to put intention and thought into what we say to others and encourage. The words of a Christian, Ephesians says, are always to give grace in a time of need and to build up and to strengthen and to help. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says this, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. That's important. That's an important function of the ministry of the believer. Encouragement has the power to lift the spirit, to create an image in someone else of who they are and what they can do, or to harden their resolve to continue in the middle of difficulty. We can do it. We can move forward. You are capable. You have gifts that come from God. Don't despair, Paul. You know, yes, we were in this city and we were doing a good job preaching the gospel. And yes, they did throw rocks at us. And we were hurt. And they dragged us outside the city and left us for dead. But that happens, right? Don't we tell everybody through many troubles we enter the kingdom of God? Isn't that what we say? Let's go. Let's go preach the gospel somewhere else. Right? Paul's like, my back hurts. Right? <laughs> Barnabas is like, walk it off. Let's go. Right? Let's, let's go. So let's focus on encouragement. Three ingredients here. First is sincerity. When you attempt to encourage someone, you want to be sincere about it. Right? Check your motives. You're not just like, oh, you're so, you're so thoughtful and you're so kind and you're so this and you're so that and just saying stuff to build someone up, right? When we're just saying stuff, we're not building them up, we're buttering them up, right? That's flattery. And a flattering tongue is a liar, Proverbs says. A lying tongue hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. And so when we speak to someone, we ought to be sincere about it, speaking to them, not just in generalities. We're not just spitting out fortune cookie advice, right? That's, that's not, I was looking at, I can't, I don't think I can even get into this. I was looking at fortune cookies thinking like, I'll, I'll talk about a bunch of fortune cookies here. One of them says, imagine how deep the ocean would be without sponges. Like, what is that? That's, a, that's not even remotely encouraging or helpful to me. Here's a general one. Fear is the dark room in which negatives develop Ooh, but is that think, think about that like if i 
if I open a fortune cookie and I read that, I'm like, what does this have to do with me right now? Like, if it said, you know, do not go outside for the next 20 minutes, there is going to be a car accident, you know, like, and you might die, like, that feels like a fortune to me, right? You know, that's like, this is, this is a word from the future printed on a cookie in a factory that arrives right at the right time. That's super useful advice. Encouragement isn't like that. Um, I love, there's one that says something usual will happen at work or school. <laughs> I like that. That's funny. And then there's a good, nice piece of advice. I like this, keep your goals away from the trolls. <laughs> Encouragement is specific, right? You're building power in someone. You're helping them lay hold of what the Holy Spirit has placed in them or, or what skills they have shaped and honed or what character they've applied themselves to through specificity. What is it that you're saying to them? You can do this. You can continue. You should persevere. You should not give up. You're instead focusing on details about them that you've observed. You're good at this. You have a good eye. You arrange things well. You plan well. You stick to it. You have got such an incredible influence over people. When you start talking, people pay attention because you're a leader. You've got a mind for facts and figures, right? Or you, you, can, you can paint the why in a way that somebody will say, whoa, I want that. And then, and then pointing that out in them and building that up, being specific. Paul says to, the, uh, to, to, to his disciple, he, he says that he remembers his tears and he remembers his faith as he's seeking to encourage him to stir up his gift. He's pointing out something specific in his life. And then when Paul encourages the Thessalonians who are suffering, he tells them, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's very specific. And then he focuses on strengths, focusing on what God has put in them and not just on their luck or chance, right? Flattery is saying to someone that they're pretty or intelligent, right? To give someone a genuine compliment is to focus on something that they're just not naturally good at, right? You persevere and hang on and develop your skills. You practice, you work, you, you know, encouraging them and focusing on what they are working hard at. As strengths are encouraged, they grow. And as strengths grow, they become obvious to others. Think about it. Paul was on the outside, and Barnabas brought him to the inside and sustained and built him and helped him and encouraged him. Was God the one doing that? Absolutely. But he was doing it through the agent of Barnabas. And so his small investments of words, an investment, I would say, in the realm of history that is so important but probably took place in casual conversations or in private conversations so that they're not ever recorded in the Bible. We don't have any words of Barnabas encouraging Paul, really. We don't, we don't have the specifics, but think about what they created. Proverbs 25:11 says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. 
Proverbs 12, 18 says, the tongue of the wise brings healing. And think of this, Proverbs 18, 21, making no small claim, say this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. We're not talking here about whether or not the magistrate is saying he lives or he dies, or, or he lives, he dies, right? We're, we're talking about that, that you can crush the, and break the spirit with your words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So, let's ask the question, what produces Paul being an insider in the church? Yes, it is Jesus' teaching, but it is Barnabas' action, his obedience to it. What connects Paul and Barnabas in such a way that they are at a place where they can launch the Gentile mission and plant the church. Listen, if you are here this morning and you are not Jewish, you have them to thank for the fact that you encountered the gospel because they pioneered the idea that non-Jews can be Christians. Peter didn't understand it until God sent a giant picnic basket out of heaven and, and gave him this vision and showed him that, 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 that nothing that God declared clean was unclean. Peter didn't get it. We're all the way halfway through the book by the time he's like, oh, Gentiles can become Christians. Barnabas encouraging Paul produces the Gentile mission. What connects the writer of the New Testament? Thirteen books Paul gives us. He's not an insider. We don't have them. And if there's no Paul, there's no Luke, and there's no book of Acts. What pushes the mission of the church forward and outward? It is encouragement. And so let me challenge you as we close. God has put amazing power in your words. Think about it. The scriptures begin with God speaking and creating the world. The scriptures move on and they tell us the story of how God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over a valley of dry bones. And as he speaks the words of God, life comes back into these dead bodies through the power of God's Holy Spirit. Humans speaking what God commands them in the way that God's command, God, God commands them, bringing life. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. Think about this. Jesus preached his entire ministry of three years. And knucklehead Peter, like who embodies us, I'm not picking on him, okay? He's there the whole time and he accomplishes nothing. Jesus leaves and goes to heaven. He's got 120 followers. Peter opens his mouth in Acts 2. First sermon he ever preaches, 3,000 people are converted. Was it his words? No, but yes, the Spirit using him, Jesus encouraging him and bringing to him to that place. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? In Romans 10, 17. And so we proclaim the words of God to people, but God is the one using our words and the power of his Spirit to transform the lives of others. This is where somebody once said that we're to be out there gossiping the gospel to other people. Sharing that, speaking that, speaking into people's lives and saying, you can go the distance, you can do it, you've got ability, you've got 
talent that God has put in you. So continue, push forward, don't give in to despair, don't be afraid, trust in Jesus, love, forgive, endure, bear. All of these things roll forward as we encourage one another. That is a powerful work of community. It's a powerful way to do evangelism. It's the power to move the mission forward, and God has given it to us. And so as I close, as we, as we draw to a close thinking about community, as we, as we finish and we set out to do the work, let me encourage you, brothers and sisters, I, I know a lot of you, I probably know almost all of you in a way that Nobody in this church knows you. Does that make sense? I, I, I like you guys a lot. <laughs> you know? A lot. You know, we get on each other's nerves occasionally, but you guys are pretty cool. I, I like you. God's put a lot of good stuff in this congregation. And so what you need to do is to take what you've got, given to you by God, and leverage it for his glory and his power and for the advance of the gospel mission. God chose you to live now in 2017 in this place for his glory and for your joy as you take your experiences and what you know of God and standing in the power of the Holy Spirit working through you, you say, I am going faithfully to speak life into other people's lives whether they're already a believer and they need to be stirred up to good works or whether they're not a believer and they need to hear the words of life that can save their souls. God's put that power in our words, in his word, and the intersection of his word and our words into the lives of people who need to hear it. That is the mission. That's where it happens. And so the closing exhortation to you is it may take hard work. You may not instantly be good at it, but be Barnabas. Go and encourage and point people to Jesus. Stir up your brothers and sisters to good works in community. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word. I pray that, that we would see our mission to stick together, to keep encouraging, to keep pressing forward, to go far together as a community. We grow as we encourage one another. The mission moves forward as we encourage. The mission moves forward as we include, as we exhort, as we forgive. May we not lose sight of this essential relational piece of our mission that we are people living in community together. We thank you for the example of Barnabas. We will not live it out perfectly. But I pray that by your grace and for your glory, we would seek to embody this. Because that's the mission. To make disciples, but to love you and to love others. Those are the great commandments. We pray your grace on the remainder of our time together as we sing this song. And we pray that as we go, we go out into our mission field to live for your glory and for our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name.